Well, before we get started, I'd uh, recommend a book to you. It's Interior Freedom by Father Jacques Philippe. By Father Jacques Philippe, Interior Freedom. It's a really good book. It deals in different ways uh, with some aspects of the topic that I'll talk about, certainly in the first part of the conference, but from a different perspective. So that's Interior Freedom by Father Jacques Philippe. Okay, I've spoken in detail everything I'm going to talk about now, but it's such an important topic uh, that uh, working through these issues with people that want to go through holiness has actually become a major part of my priest, and I realize everywhere I go that it needs to be talked about more and more. So, in chapter 53, of the book of the prophet Isaiah we read, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that made us whole. With his stripes we are healed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's start with an anecdote. When we were kids, uh, my dad worked as a packer and a hunting guide. That meant he would take a string of pack horses and mules along with hunters uh, mounted horseback back into the wilderness there in Montana where I'm from. They'd set up a camp uh, way back in the mountains, probably about 35 miles or so from the nearest road. They had, you know, wall tents, those canvas white wall tents you're probably familiar with, all that sort of thing. It's sort of a a canvas wilderness hotel, and they take the hunters out after elk and deer, maybe bear, whatever. So most of you have probably seen pictures of that sort of thing. But one particular client made an impression on me when I was a kid, and that impression has never left. He's a great big guy, probably 6'5", and, and somewhere, you know, 300 pounds. He was a big, big human being. He's a retired colonel from the Army uh, about that time. It's about 45 years ago that I mean, most likely been through World War II and Korean Vietnam. I don't remember all the details anymore, but I do remember he was some kind of war hero. <clears throat> Excuse me, some kind of war hero. At any rate, at one point during this hunting trip, he'd shot a deer. So my dad took him up on a nearby ridge and told him he'd be back uh, to get him after he took care of the deer, gotten it out, get it down to camp and so forth. So dad showed him where the camp was, how to get back if he needed to. But in the meanwhile, he'd have a pretty good chance of, of getting an elk moving through there. And that's why he put him up on that ridge. They're both horseback. So dad tells him he'll be back later, rides off, take care of the deer, leaves the colonel there with a good horse, high power rifle, directions to camp, and only about a foot of snow. So anybody can track through a foot of snow. It's just, you know, impossible to get lost in this kind of situation. So my dad got back later that day. The colonel was literally terrified. He told my dad, even though he'd been through war, he'd never been so scared his whole entire life. Here he was, 70 miles from town, and that showed you how he was about 35 miles from town. But he thought he was set from the road, it was a lot farther than that town. But he, here he is, only about 35 miles from the road, and he, his entire life he'd never been that scared before. He'd always been around people since he was a little kid, and he'd never experienced anything this terrifying in his whole life. And the thing that bothered him the worst is it was so quiet. He'd never been that scared in his life. The rest of the time he was in the hills, he wanted my dad right there with him, which my dad was happy to do. Good horse, high-powered rifle, direction to the camp, only a foot and a half of snow or so, and he's plumb terrified because it was quiet. That made a huge impression on me that's still with me some 45 years later. I could understand why someone who didn't grow up in that kind of country might have some fear, but the part that stuck with me is why would it be so afraid of the quiet? What's so scary about the quiet? Well, I'm sure he's long since dead, so I can't answer for him, but I can give a general answer. A real quiet, a profound quiet like that that you can experience in the mountains. I mean, we don't call it the high lonesome for nothing. That kind of quiet can really make someone have to face himself. 
A profound quiet like that can make someone have to face himself. He can't turn up the music. There isn't any music. He can't turn on the television. There isn't one. He can't head to the mall or to the bar or the movie theater. There aren't any. He can't distract himself by talking to anyone. There's no one there to talk to. He's alone. And he's alone with his thoughts. And that can be a beautiful thing. A really beautiful thing. But if someone doesn't have inner peace, if he's filled with turmoil over this, that, and other thing, and if his usual means for distracting himself, his usual means for escaping, having to think about his inner turmoil, are not available, and all he has is that deep quiet in his own turmoil and troubled thoughts inside himself. That can get really, really frightening. And once someone understands that, it's easy to understand a lot of what passes for everyday life in our modern society. People are filled with turmoil. They're filled with that sort of thing. They don't have inner peace. They're turning up the music. They keep busy doing this and that, rushing around, moving from this place to that place, playing with all these electronic gizmos. And it's all in a big, giant effort to distract themselves, to keep themselves from having to face their inner turmoil and their lack of peace. So we're going to spend some time this afternoon talking about one common cause of inner turmoil. We'll start there, and we're going to go on, but this is probably going to surprise some folks. One very common cause of inner turmoil is caused by not living in the present. It's really common. In order to have true inner peace, in order not to be stirred up with all kinds of inner turmoil, we have to live in the present. We have to live in the moment God gives us in this present moment. Now we're going to take some time to see, look at that in some detail, but before we do that, let's briefly consider why we have to live in the moment that God gives us in the present moment in order to have inner peace, in order not to be stirred up with inner turmoil. Briefly then, if we don't live in the present moment, we have two choices. Either in some way we're living in the past, or in some way we're living in the future. Now, what does that mean when we say someone's living in the past? By this we mean that someone mentally looks back to life and says things like this, Oh, if only I would have done this. Oh, man, I should have done that. I wished I would have never, ever done that. My life was so beautiful then, and so forth, and so forth. In other words, when we say someone's living in the past, we mean someone allows himself to be filled with regrets about his past failures, but wants to live in his past, previous glories. What does it mean when we say someone's living in the future? By this we mean someone that mentally preoccupies himself by thinking to himself things like, what if this happens? Oh no, what if that happens? What will everyone think then if that goes on? What will I do if he actually does that? In other words, when we say someone's living in the future, we mean that he allows himself to be filled with worry and stress and commotion over things that haven't even happened yet and may very well never come to pass. So the man who lives in the past allows himself to be filled with regrets at his past failures where he wants to live in his previous glories. And the man who lives in the future stresses out and worries about things which haven't even happened yet. In either case, these men live in a sort of virtual reality, a thought-only had attitude in the case of the man living in the past, or what-if attitude in the case of the man living in the future. Either of those attitudes is absolutely guaranteed to produce inner turmoil. It's 100% guaranteed. 100%. Why? Because although there are some differences in these attitudes, and we'll take a closer look at those shortly, either of those attitudes are absolutely guaranteed to produce inner turmoil because these past or future events are things over which we have no control. We have no control. These sort of attitudes hold us in bondage and prevent us from seeing ourselves clearly in the present, the only time we're living in the here and now. The men who suffer from these attitudes are trapped, either in the past or in the future. But in any event, they're missing the here and now. They're living in bondage. They're living in sort of a virtual reality, and either one of those conditions 
is 100% guaranteed to cause inner turmoil. So that's a very brief overview of the problem. Someone like that doesn't have inner peace. He can't have inner peace. So even if he finds, well, if he finds himself in a situation like the Colonel in the Montana wilderness, a situation where he can't distract himself, he's all alone with his troubled thoughts, it can really get frightening. Now, all of this living in the past or the future in a serious way like we're talking about is actually a result of spiritual wounds. This living in the past or in the future is a result of spiritual wounds. And in this conference, we're going to talk briefly about the practical aspects of healing from these kind of wounds. And what I'm going to talk about doesn't just pertain to those wounds of living in the past and the future, but to all kinds of wounds. And so we're going to go through this uh, series of things here. Because of time constraints, we'll only be able to touch on some of the most important points, but it'll give everybody enough information to get a good start. Because everybody has a great desire to be healed, to be free of any bondage that weighs them down. Because of our human condition, these kind of bondages leave any, we want to get rid of anything that makes us feel sad or empty or unsatisfied, dissatisfied, frustrated, hurt with people, places, uh, our condition, etc. That can even include God. There are two basic kinds of wounds. There's physical and spiritual. Now when you cut yourself with a knife, it makes a physical wound. The severity of the wound depends on how deep you cut yourself, and in fact, where you cut yourself, okay? But over time, as a wound heals, typically the pain decreases until what you have is a scar. A spiritual wound is analogous to a physical wound. A spiritual wound is a result of a trauma or an event in someone's life that left an impression that sometimes can be remembered and sometimes not. And the seriousness of the wound, the depth of the wound, so to speak, depends on the seriousness of the trauma or the event. The traumas can, uh, that cause such wounds can, can uh, range from self-inflicted wounds resulting from sin, because each and every sin actually wounds us, to wounds that have been inflicted on us through no fault of our own, like being violently assaulted, being conceived out of marriage, and yes, that does cause a, a wound, or even really violent physical trauma of different types. But unlike uh, the typical progression of a physical wound from damage to healing to scar, typically a spiritual wound remains present. Why is this? Because in spite of the fact that they cause pain, people typically don't know how to heal from spiritual wounds. But because a wound is a source of pain, the typical thing, we would build a barrier around that spiritual wound, just like we protect a cut that we don't want to touch. So build a barrier on that spiritual wound so we can live with and protect ourselves from the pain. These barriers are typically expressed in certain types of behavior, certain personality quirks, uh, faults which serve to protect us from that pain. For example, we might see them expressed as anger, resentment, fear, hatred of certain people or situations, not being able to deal with large crowds of people, living in the past living in the future. Those are just some four examples. That's a very brief summary. There's enough information to get you there to give you some idea of what a spiritual wound is so we can talk about it here. Uh, you can, for more details on it, approach from a slightly different perspective, you can go to Father Chad Richter's website. He has four excellent 45-minute long spiritual conferences dealing with wounds and healing. The website, and I've got the list, but everybody probably knows that, but it's on one of the little handouts there. there. It's Spirit, Father Chabot, Ritberger, the spiritual conferences dealing with wounds and healing. He's going to say things that are different than what I'm saying. They absolutely mesh, but it's, you know, we're not repeating the same information. So living in the past or living in the future is actually a result of spiritual wounds. When we're hurt, we tend to live either with a regret of our past or sometimes an anxiety of a future. And one of the effects of these is to leave us in a state of worry and I'm able to live in the here and now. When a man lives with regret of his past, he in fact tries to give himself what he thinks at some level he deserves by not forgiving himself for his previous actions. The result is he holds himself in bondage for his past. He won't ever let himself forget it. In this condition, he can't heal from the wounds left by those past actions, nor can he allow himself to live in the present. Since at some level he's punishing himself by saying to himself, if only I would have done this, or if only I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be in this situation. I wouldn't have gotten hurt, so it's my fault. 
So in fact, he's adopted an attitude that to be forgiven or be freed would in some way mean that he'd be off the hook for his mistakes. But at some level, at uh, some sense, he really doesn't believe he deserves to be forgiven or freed from his mistakes. So instead of trusting the mercy of God and trusting that he paid the price, that he forgives us, in effect, this man is saying, yes, Lord, you may forgive me and you may have paid the price, but I got myself into this mess. It was a result of my stupidity, my decisions. This is my hurt. This is my wound. It's my problem. So I have to deal with it. But no one can change the past. No one. The past is what it is. And no one can save himself. That's why we need a Savior. By holding on to the past, by holding on to his regrets, the man is actually holding on to a wound. And not trusting that the Lord came to make all things new. He needs to face those regrets. He needs to accept that mistake, that catastrophe, that decision, that event for what it is, and let go of it and let our Lord and Our Lady take it. Okay, great. So how is he supposed to do that? By recalling the pain, not necessarily details, but recalling the pain, acknowledging it, and then allowing our Lord and Our Lady to love him in this wound, in this pain, in this decision. Obviously, he doesn't ask them to love a sin, but to love the wounded soul. To love that soul that is suffering from this specific hurt. To love him even that specific wound, and then ask them to help him let go of the past, to let go of the pain and turn it over to them. And the wounded man needs to beg our Lord and Our Lady for the grace to love himself. To love that wounded person that he's been shunning, and he's been so disappointed in. To beg them for the grace, to see himself as God sees him, and to love himself as God loves him. He needs to beg for the grace to see himself as God sees him, and to love himself as God loves him. And most especially to see himself the way God sees him, and to love himself the way God loves him, in that wounded area, in that hurt, in that regret that's been hanging over his whole life all this time, those past mistakes that have held him in bondage. He needs to beg our Lord and Our Lady for the grace to no longer reject himself, to believe, to truly believe he's loved, and even this wound, even in this pain. So he needs to beg for the grace to see himself as God sees him, to love himself as God loves him, and most especially in that wounded area. If he's faithful to this kind of prayer, he'll begin to start loving himself even in the wound. We're going to get specific here in a while. As that begins to happen, as this man starts to love himself here, he'll be able to quit holding his past over his own head. He'll be able to quit blaming himself for his rotten life. He'll be able to quit saying, if only I'd done this, or only if I had done that, and then start saying, I am loved. I am forgiven. Even with my past, I am able to grow in virtue and holiness right now. I'm, I am able to become the same. My past is my past. I can be holy. I am loved. I don't have regrets anymore. It is what it is, but it isn't controlling me anymore. Let's not forget the devil certainly promotes living in the past. Why? Because the man who lives in the past keeps himself in bondage. He's doing the devil's work for him. The man who lives in the past doesn't allow himself to grow in holiness. In other words, the man who lives in the past is unwittingly cooperating with the work of the devil in his own life. Let's use a concrete example now. Suppose someone is really living in the past because of regrets about being involved in an abortion. It's obviously a completely devastating sin with pretty incredible wounds. How would this man, this woman, go about praying for healing from such wounds? The basic idea here is that the healing of a wounded soul comes out by reaching out, it comes about by reaching out in prayer to Our Lady and then begging her to bring her son into the situation. Because the healing is going to come from contact with Christ. That's how it's going to come. Healing comes from our wounds coming in contact with his wounds. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. By his, his stripes, we are healed. 
So we'll just quickly run through a very easy and very fruitful way of doing just that. It's really easy to remember. It's only an outline. So when you pick up that little paper, you can rewrite it. It, does, it won't bother me. It's an outline, but it works. It's practical. It's easy to remember. And the little handout, you can stuck in your missile, your prayer book, in your Bible. You can rewrite it. It doesn't matter because you'll see how it goes here. So... It's just adaptable. Here's how it goes. We identify a wound. In this case, the example we're using involvement in abortion. The first thing to do is to make an act of the will that we really want this to be healed. And that means we're really willing to suffer whatever it takes to be healed. That's critical. The most important thing is to make an act of the will that we really want this to be healed and we're willing to suffer whatever it takes to be free of this wound. We're going to have to have it in our mind that it's going to hurt. No illusions here. We have to have it in our mind that this is going to hurt. Think of it like resetting a broken bone. It is going to hurt. In this case, we're resetting a broken bone in our heart, so to speak. It's going to hurt. But in healing, in this case, because the pain is released, being released and going out. So the pain is going out. When you're wounded, the pain is going in. Healing, the pain is going out. It's been trapped in there and just held onto. And that's what we want to do is have it come out. It is going to hurt. Don't, no illusions. This is clear. Okay. It's going to hurt, but it's in healing, the hurt is because the pain's going out. Okay? The most important thing is to do is to make an act of the will that we really want this to be healed. We're willing to suffer whatever it takes to be free of this wound and to have it clearly in our mind, it's going to hurt. Now, I want to encourage you here this pain, the suffering, the pain of healing is going to hurt, but it can really be put to good use. Really good use. One small anecdote in that regard before we go on. Uh, Yvonne Beauvais, she was later known as Mother Yvonne Aimé of Jesus. She's one of the most remarkable women of the last century, and I wish there was more written on, on her in English. Anyway, she's a mystic and a victim's soul, who, among other things, was given the mission to, to make reparation for those who committed sacrileges against the most blessed sacrament. 24-year-old woman waiting to be accepted in the convent. On August 10th, 1925, she was ambushed and kidnapped by three men. They beat her and they tortured her to the point of even pushing long knitting needles uh, through her breasts. One of the men torturing was actually a depraved priest that she had previously tried to help by delivering him a warning from our Lord. And he raped her. She was tossed out blindfolded on a deserted street in Paris. So she's been kidnapped, beaten, tortured, raped by a priest, and tossed out on an empty street. She's waiting in her religious life, but now she doesn't know if she's pregnant or not. She doesn't know what will become of her, of her vocation, of her life. In her journal, she wrote, quote, Jesus chose the heaviest cross, the most humiliating. I suffered atrociously in all parts of my body, in every fiber of my heart and my soul, close quotes. But the most beautiful entry is her simple statement that, quote, After this trial, I obtained the same year the ransom of 32 souls of priests in danger. Close quote. The pain didn't go to waste. She paid the price for 32 priest souls. What about the reprobate that raped her? He repented and was converted. It takes a lot to convert one of us. 
She paid the price for her rapist. A priest rapist. Pain didn't go to waste. Look, when we're talking about healing serious wounds, it's going to hurt, but it's doable. It doesn't have to go to waste. And if you offer it up, it won't. You could certainly pray to Mother Yvonne and me of Jesus to help you with that, okay? So we've identified a wound involvement in abortion. We make an act of the will that we really want it to be healed and really suffer whatever it takes to be free of this wound. We have to have it in our mind that it's going to hurt. But that's because the pain is being released that we've been holding on to and it's going out. When we're wounded, it was going in. So we turned our lady, we prayed along these lines. Bless the Mother of God. I completely open to you this wound of living in the past with all my regrets about this abortion. Then we ask Our Lady, I beg thee to wash, to cleanse, and purify this wound with thy tears and the precious blood of thy Son. Then we ask her, I beg thee to bring thy Son in this wound to heal it. And then we ask her, I beg thee to fill this spot with charity together with thy Son to stay in a rule because it's a place where we haven't let him in and we want him there. We've had it closed and now it's opening. So walk back through that again and it's all in that little handout. We turn to our lady and we pray, Blessed Mother of God, I completely open to thee this wound of living in the past with all the regrets about the abortion. I beg thee to wash, cleanse, and purify this wound with thy tears, precious blood of thy son. I beg thee to bring thy son to this wound to heal it. I beg thee to fill his spot with charity, together with thy son to stay in rule. It's especially powerful to pray right at the reception of Holy Communion. Blessed Mother of God, I completely open this wound of living the past with all my regrets about the abortion, whatever else it is. I beg thee to wash, cleanse, and purify this wound with thy tears and precious blood of thy son. I beg thee to bring thy son in this wound to heal it. And I beg thee to fill this vow with charity and together with thy son to stay in rule. One thing that's important to keep in mind that is if someone was to ask for these kind of healings in the case of some sort of horrific trauma, he shouldn't try to recall the circumstances to mind. That is not necessary. It might do more harm than good. This is not a psychological exercise per se at all. I don't know what they do. We're talking about something spiritual here. He simply needs to ask Our Lady to bring the Lord into this woundness and pain and to heal him and make him free. He doesn't have to sit here and try to recreate the scene. If there's walls there, there's walls for a reason. So just invite him behind the walls. You open it all up to heaven, but you don't have to go walking through there in your mind, okay? Another important point uh, to keep in mind, when someone's trying to heal from his wounds and seriously pray to ask our lady to bring our Lord into each area and heal him, oftentimes previously unknown wounds will be revealed to the person. That's very, very common. Okay, so we've talked about someone who's been living the past because of regrets about abortion, how he would pray for healing. Let's talk about living in the future. One typical approach taken by many people is to try to meticulously plan their future. Now it is true, we're supposed to take reasonable care for the future, but without worrying. You know, without worrying. Now on that note, uh, because many traditional Catholics are completely worried and freaked out about the future, they don't keep it in perspective. And so this fear is fed with, with blogs, books, lectures, articles, even sermons. It's certainly true that priests are obliged to keep the faithful informed in light of the gospel, and that includes preaching on frightening topics. Uh, you know, hell, 
persecutions, the end of the world, etc. But even though these are definitely exciting topics, we're not supposed to do the chicken little routine and start running around. Even if the sky is falling, we didn't put it up there, okay? And God knows what he's doing. The great Belgian Jesuit, St. John Birchmans, gives us a perfect example of how we're supposed to act in these kind of situations with these topics. So one day, the scholastics, the Jesuits, they're, they're playing pool. It's during recreation. He, he's lining up a shot. We're talking about the end of the world. He's lining up this shot, and one of the other scholastics asked John, hey, John, what would you do if you found the world that's going to end right now? He said, I'd keep shooting pool. Now, what's the point there? The point is that you're supposed to take recreation, and he was. You're supposed to be in a state of grace, and you were. So we just do our duty, is what God's calling us to do, and not freak out. Remember the story of the boat and the storm. The apostles are panicking. Our Lord's asleep. He calms it down when he calms it down. He's in charge. There isn't a single thing going on right now that's a surprise to God. So we just keep that in our mind, and that'll help us. And it's not a surprise that he let us live right now. He expects us to be faithful whenever he puts us in history. The sky is falling in the church. It's a disaster of epic proportions, but it's not a surprise to God. We can relax. I know that sounds funny, but we have, we're not going to be judged on what the church is doing. We're going to be judged on what I'm doing. i got to pray for the leadership, but I don't have to let them, gee, I'm going to let you guys decide my interior life. That is a completely wrong way to approach it. We see this stuff, we go, hmm, note to self, I guess I need another decade for them today, and then get busy with shooting pool or whatever you're supposed to be doing right then. All seriousness, just resign. He's the Messiah, we're in the church. Let him take care of that thing. We can talk to her about it, and then just relax. And don't feed, the, especially for an excitable person. Relax, okay? All right. We have to trust divine providence. God knew what he was doing when he had us live now. He'll give us every necessary grace we need to become saints in the precise historical conditions in which we find ourselves if we ask for him and live accordingly. But instead, far too many Catholics these days allow themselves to be derailed because they're not living in the present moment. They're not trusting the past to God's mercy. They're not trusting the future to God's providence. And instead, they're living in this virtual reality, like, you know, if only I had in the case of the past, or what if? What if this happens in the future? In the case of those preoccupied and generally freaked out about the future. And there's a lot of people, and I'm not making fun of them. I'm just describing it. We gotta be careful not to get into that. So let's talk about the future. One typical approach taken by many people is to try to meticulously plan their future. Again, we're supposed to take reasonable care here, but without worrying. If a man is worrying and planning in some meticulous way, this is indicative of a wound. Well, except for her, we've all got wounds. So this is not a condemnation, it's a recognition, okay? So he's going to be unable to live in the present because he'd be dominated by what if, what if this happens, what if that happens, and so forth. Dominated by fears that things aren't going to go according to his desires, that he'll be wounded again, or that others won't accept or like him because he did, things didn't go smoothly according to his plans, and so forth. So this is a thought pattern which is also very pleasing to hell. Why? Because such a man gets so wrapped up in trying to assure the future will be according to his plan that he neglects to live in the present. He's neglecting to live in the present. And yet this is key. It's absolutely essential to understand the present, this very moment, is the only moment that we can grow in virtue. This present, this very moment, is the only moment that we can heal. This present, this very moment, is the only moment that we can gain an indulgence. This present, this very moment, is the only moment that we can become holy. This present, this very moment, is the only moment that we can become saints. Sometimes I hear people say, and it's very common, if only I'd lived here or there during this time of that, if only I'd known this saint, if only, if only. What this person is saying, in fact, without thinking clearly about it, when he says, if only I'd lived in this place or that time or that, if I'd only known this saint or that, this person is saying, in fact, that God doesn't know what he's doing. 
God doesn't know what he's doing. If only I had lived in this place or that, that time or known that saint, if only those things had happened, then I would have or could have become a saint. Then I would have or could have dealt with the situation. They don't mean it, but that's blasphemy, huh? God knew from all eternity we'd be living right now. God knew exactly what he was doing when he had us live right now. The present is the only time to become a saint. He doesn't change at all. His power hasn't been limited at all. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's scripture, okay? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13.8. And he'll give us every necessary grace to become saints in the precise historical conditions in which he places us. We have to ask for them to live accordingly. Okay, so now that we've talked briefly about the practical aspects of living or, or healing from wounds in the past or the future, let's talk about one of the most important things in the process of spiritual healing, which is forgiveness. Again, there's much more that can be said, but we don't have the time to heal. We must first be willing to forgive others. Our Lord explicitly taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespass against us. This forgiveness must come from the heart, must come from the will. We don't have to forget what happened. We don't have to forget what happened, but we do have to forgive and let the pain go. That's important. We don't have to forget, but we do have to forgive and let the pain go. Sometimes the hurt is too big or too deep. We don't actually know what's causing it, so we can't forgive or let go of it ourselves. That's why it's so important on this journey to ask Our Lady and our Lord to come into those areas, to heal us, help us forgive and let go of the pain, to give it to them with a whole open heart, to will it with all of our being, to truly desire it, to will it. In a spiritual life, the will is paramount. We have to will to be healed with all our heart. Truly will it. We'll get to how to do that shortly. At times we may have been hurt so deeply we seem unable to forgive. But if we beg our Lord to forgive for us, to will it, then our Lord will give us the graces over time. Now I've told this story elsewhere, I'll just sum it up. But uh, I, I told the story of a young man who had uh, been, he, he's at, at the time he was possessed. And it told me by, at the time he was the only full-time exorcist in the country. This is many years ago. Very important conversation with me. And the young man was possessed. And uh, I don't know, he's 18, 20, 21, I don't remember anymore. That's not important. And of course, the exorcist had the power to demand uh, what, what were the conditions for him to be delivered. He said he has to forgive his parents. They're ha, 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 you know, they're devils. Well, why is it the big deal? Well, he grew up in a family of Satanists. So from infancy, everything, you can't say it. Every kind of possible torture and abuse from his parents and from other friends of the family. You can't forgive something like that, huh? It's not humanly possible. He ran away, he came away with wounds and with devils, and within a year he was delivered. How did that happen? How did that happen? Well, he started to reach out in prayer. Texas taught him prayer. You know, he says, Lord, I can't forgive him, so you forgive him for me. I'm inviting you into my whole life. Every one of these events, and he didn't want to remember them, that wasn't the object. But he's opening himself up. He's making actual to open up and say, Lord, you come into that and you forgive them for me. Within a year, he loved his parents. Didn't like them. Wasn't going to go see them. That's a darn good idea. But he loved them. Wanted them to be freed. It's unlikely people like that will be. But that's the Lord. He couldn't do it, huh? Over the course of time, our Lord did that. As we forgive others and ask others to forgive us of any wrong, it's also important that we try to repair the wrong we've done. If it's possible, we should try to make restitution for the wrong. Not just because it's a lawful thing to do, but more importantly, when we right a wrong, we're more easily able to forgive ourselves and not have so much guilt to heal from. The effort to restore the wrong shows that we're truly sorry and want to be forgiven. It shows an act of the will. Humbling ourselves and asking for forgiveness shows the same thing if we ask with a contrite heart, truly wanting forgiveness. It's really, 
really important to recognize the wounds of all sorts, especially the really deep wounds. There's a need to forgive oneself, even if we did no wrong in causing the wound. That's essential to understand. With wounds of all sorts, especially the really deep ones, there's a need to forgive oneself, even if we did no wrong in causing the wound. It's not that we're guilty, but there's a spirit of forgiveness that we need so we can forgive ourselves and love ourselves in that hurt, realizing that we can be loved in that wound. For example, if we were assaulted violently as a child, we'd have built like barriers and personality quirks around that wound so we could continue on with life and deal with the pain and trauma. As we start healing and forgiving the attacker, we will also have the need to forgive ourselves. This might sound really bizarre to say in these kind of cases we'd have to forgive ourselves. Why would this be or how could this be? As it turns out, there's going to be a certain amount of guilt and shame associated with the wound. In our brokenness, thanks a lot, Adam, we actually tend to blame ourselves for this. We hold on to such a wound. We hold on to the pain as if we deserve it in some sense because it's our pain, it's our wound. And some level we think no one else can really understand or feel the pain like I do. They didn't go through it. It's mine. It'll always be mine. And I have to deal with it all by myself. I have to do it all alone. It's my pain and I have to bear it. The point is we need to be able to forgive ourselves, forgive everyone involved in the situation, let the wound be healed. It's also common if we suffered a great trauma, we get the idea that we're dirty or we have no value, we may very well end up viewing ourselves like some animal or object. The results here are predictably catastrophic and obvious, and I don't think we need to see more about that. Okay. Today, another common example. Suppose someone were a real party animal in his youth, and later in life repented of his rowdy behavior. It may actually be pretty difficult to be healed of that. Why? Because one of the typical results of being a rowdy, of being a party animal, is a sort of perverse pride in that sinful way of life. A sort of perverse pride that he can carry on and drink with the best of them, etc. You know, he can hold his whiskey, blah, blah, blah. And because this perverse pride is associated with that wound, he may not want to let go of the prideful attitude, even though his sins hurt Our Lady and Our Lord. And if he doesn't specifically will to let go of that pride, he won't heal. He can't heal there, actually. And this may not be a fully conscious decision on his part. He must first have an awareness of what he's doing, and typically this won't come from himself. A confessor, a priest, a director, a good spiritual friend can point this out to him and help him to see it, or he can pray that he sees himself as God sees him, he'll love himself as God loves him, and the light bulbs will start going on here. A very, very important step to understand here would be pray. Inviting the Holy Spirit in his heart. Come, Holy Spirit, and help me see myself as you see me, and love myself as you love me. And then beg for the graces to completely reject this prideful attitude, to be able to let go of it and the perverse personality traits he produced in response to it. These perverse traits that cause a person to take pride in disgraceful behavior and sin. He needs to completely reject this because it hurts his relationship with God. It's actually a barrier between him and God. Another common situation involves sins that someone fully chose to do, but then after the fact, he's very ashamed of. It's actually very common with certain kinds of sin. Uh, cheating on a spouse, looking at bad pictures, being involved in abortion or a perverse lifestyle. Because of the shame, it's common to bury these things deep within himself, but in spite of that, oftentimes it's anger, depression, or something uh, as a result of it. And although he very well have confessed it, he can't forgive himself. He believes God could forgive him because God is God, but he can't forgive himself when he's positive that others wouldn't forgive or accept him if they're aware of what sort of things he'd been up to in his past. And so he buries that wound deep in himself, hoping it will never come out again. And our country has millions and millions of women in this condition. It's so common, in, in this, in, for one of these wounds we have a name. That's what post-abortal is. That's exactly what post-abortal is, is this kind of thing where it's buried in there. The simple and painful fact is that healing is impossible with a buried wound like that. He needs to invite our Lord and Our Lady, those areas, begging them to heal his sores, begging them to help him forgive himself, and asking them to take this wound to take all this pain away. In prayer, he can even try picture himself handing the whole situation over to our Lord or to Our Lady. 
Surprisingly enough, it's actually pretty common in these situations for a severely wounded person to have a perverse sort of pride in, with such events. What do we mean by that? The wounded person may very well think, in so many words, I have hurt Jesus so very much that I can't burden him with this awful wound, with all this awful pain that I've created. It's mine. I did it. I caused it. And I deserve to have to carry this myself. What has happened in such a situation is the poor wounded person has become too proud to let the Lord take it away from him. In effect, he's saying, it's my mess. I'm just going to have to take care of myself. I pay my debts, so I can't really ask our Lord to take care of this after all he's done for me. So I'll deal with it. And then when I get everything under control, at that point in time, I'll go to Jesus freely without burdening with any more sins. And once we see that for what it really is, we can see it's actually a terribly dangerous form of pride. Now, to be fair, many times the thought process hasn't been worked out that clearly. As you talk to them as a priest going back and forth and sort of a discussion, you can draw this out and they start realizing, well, that is what I think. That is what I've been doing. Okay? Anyway, that's what's going on there. He needs to understand clearly. He needs to clearly see if we were debt-free, then he'd have no need for a Savior. We all have debts we can't pay. We all need a Savior. We all have debts we can't pay. And our Lord knows full well we can never pay Him. Besides, what on earth does He need from us? Nothing. He's God Almighty. He's got it all. He doesn't need anything from us. So in spite of the fact that God needs absolutely nothing from us, in spite of the fact that God is perfectly content and happy in himself, nevertheless, the second person of the most blessed Trinity, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, still chose to pay our debts. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that makes us whole, and with his stripes we're healed. And one of the most important aspects of forgiveness is not to forgive. We have to be sure that we forgive God from the bottom of our hearts. Now that may sound shocking. Why would this be or how could this be? It's certainly not because God has done anything that he needs to be forgiven for because that would be total blasphemy. But it's because oftentimes when we've been seriously hurt, like in the case of a child that's violently assaulted, we blame God. Why? If you love me, did you let this happen? You're God. You could have stopped it. Why didn't you protect me? I was too little to protect myself, and so on and so on and so on. It's very common. And I'm sure as I'm saying this, there are people here reviewing that in their mind. In these sort of situations, we placed a certain amount of blame on God. And our hearts were wounded and disappointed and hurt because God was not our hero in this case. He let us get hurt. He let us down, so to speak. Now, that's certainly not the case. In fact, God was there in each one of those events, suffering with us, paying the price for the sin and hurting for us much deeper than we'll ever know. This is a rough analogy, and it limps, but it's sort of like a mother seeing a child take a serious fall and get hurt. The mother feels the pain and suffering of her child, certainly in a different way than the child, but quite probably more than the child feels it. It breaks the mother's heart that it happened. We have free will, which is an amazing gift. God doesn't want to take that away from us, but he can fix our hurt if we run to him, if we give it to him fully, not holding anything back. He can and will fix it. He's God. And he came to save sinners, to take sin away, but the key is to let him. We have to let him. We need to forgive God so that we can trust him and love him. I have a lot of conversations like this about this exact topic with people. It's just been a couple days I had somebody in the office. We talked uh, two hours on this very topic. Very beautiful person. But this is right where it's at, right there. This kind of thing. And when they don't forgive God, there's a barrier, an absolute barrier there to growth, isn't there? Because the only way we can grow is contact with Him. When we're able, you know, so God, we need, God understands what we went through, our pain, our guilt, our sorrow. He loves us anyway. He loves us in that wound. As a mother loves most tenderly when her child is hurt, so does our Lord love us most tenderly when we're hurt. When we're able to forgive, we're able to let go of a huge weight that's held us prisoner. 
we're held in bondage by a lack of forgiveness, and we're truly able to start praying and inviting heaven into those wounds, the barriers then slowly broken down. We're able to start forgiving and let go of the pain. We're being set free. And in fact, I just parenthetically note right here, when it really starts hurting, if you're doing these praying, that's the sign that the barriers are coming down. Don't stop then. When it really starts getting painful right then, that's actually a sign that your prayers are being heard. So it's starting to heal. It's like pus coming out of a wound all of a sudden. So people will come to the priest, they're freaking out because all of a sudden things are really, really hurt. You say, that will pass. You have to pray, but what's happening is all this stuff that you've been, you've had down there and you've been jumping up and down on a cork trying to keep it in there. You pulled the cork out and now it's starting to come out. So it is going to, that's not a bad sign. A hangover is a bad sign. That's a self-inflicted stupidity. This kind of pain is coming out. It's a good sign because it means your prayers are being answered. Don't panic when it starts to hurt. That's the pain going out. That's the pain going out. It's the sign that we're being set free. The last aspect of forgiveness we'll touch on today is the need to let others forgive us and let God forgive us. Sometimes... We won't accept forgiveness for whatever reason. We want to hold other people's faults over their heads. We don't want to forget how much they've hurt us. Such a grudge just prevents us from the healing. When we don't let others forgive us, when we reject forgiveness, we're rejecting God in our lives. It's even worse when we won't approach the confession, let God heal us and take care of us. We think the sin is too big or even worse. We don't want God's forgiveness. There's literally nothing that we can do until we accept forgiveness. There's much more that can be said, but that should give us each a pretty clear, uh, decent overview of various challenges we may face here. There's one uh, more very important topic to briefly cover, and that's how to recognize the areas in our life that are wounded. We'll just touch on this briefly, and again, I want to recommend Father Ripker's talks because he's going to hit that from another angle. It's beautiful. The question, what are my wounds, is a spiritual question. Some wounds are going to be obvious if we're violently assaulted in childhood, if we had an abortion, etc., etc. But some wounds are not obvious. We need to turn to the Holy Spirit and our Lady and pray over and over. Come Holy Spirit, help me to see myself as you see me. Love myself as you love me. And ask Our Lady, Blessed Mother, help me see myself as you see me. And to love myself as you love me. So ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me see myself as you see me, and love myself as you love me. And we turn to Our Lady, Blessed Mother, help me see myself as you see me, and love myself as you love me. And over time, the less obvious problems are going to become apparent. It's really important since there are many ways to be wounded, many different types of wounds. Wounds can come from our families, can be passed down, almost like a, an inheritance. For example, family pride. It's good to have a healthy pride, sort of love for one's family, but a sort of arrogance can be ingrained sometimes in some families in each member, or a spirit of harshness, or so forth and so forth. So spirit, souls can easily are wounded by uh, the loss of a parent, by being raised in a broken home, a home without love, a home full of violence, and words and deeds, or people that have been abused emotionally or, or physically. They can even rise in utero, which sounds surprising, in the womb. If the mother rejected the pregnancy or seriously considered aborting the child, even if she experienced a really traumatic sickness right then, or traumatic, uh, a real trauma in her life, a sorrow, as amazing as it sounds, that baby can experience rejection, may need healing from that. In these cases, the inherited wound, the wound in utero, the family needs to be forgiven from the heart. How are we going to know that? You're not going to know that without praying. You can't know this. This is something that you'll know by praying. It'll come obvious. Exorcists know this sometimes because their problems are directly related to this. It's Father Ripperger's interesting because he has a different take on it that way. But they'll know it. And if God allows it, it's not going to be allowed to get mad at your family or something. It's just going to be something you can just, you know, you can become aware of, and it'll come in a peaceful way. And you'll just, and I'm not talking about, uh, you'll just come in a peaceful way. There's a lot more that can be said, but it's sufficient to get you started. A few more observations before we close. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm going to say right now may not apply to every soul that does it. I, I suspect it does to the really serious ones. But over the past, uh, it's gone, you know, it's almost 15 years that I've been involved in this kind of thing with, with wounded souls. The ones that I've worked with that are faithful to this kind of prayers at a certain time, there's a sort of a major, uh, uh, for that person, a miraculous inner healing. And they're lifted from, by divine grace, as it were, to a sort of a plateau. 
And they're, they're put up there. And so it's a major healing. For the most part, I've never seen it where it's been a complete healing. The souls I'm familiar with are given a deep healing, a deep peace, and they know that they get a great experience of the love of God at this point in time, but they also realize there's areas to work on, areas in which they still need to ask Our Lady to bring our Lord's grace and light and truth into. Uh, I have opinions on why that would be, I think, just all, without going into too much. I think it's mostly to encourage them in that walk so they keep doing the same things and grow closer and closer to the Lord and deepen that prayer life. There's other things, but that's enough for now. Another important point. It's important to realize that if someone's to ask for this kind of healings, don't try, if it's some real horrific trauma, please don't try to call the circumstances to mind. You can actually wound yourself by doing that. Just ask Our Lady to bring Our Lord in there, and that'll take care of it that way, okay? When so, another point, when someone is uh, trying to heal from the wounds and seriously praying, uh, oftentimes they'll see these previously unknown wounds. And another one, this is a sad one. The most important thing to do is make an act of the will that we really want to be healed and ready, ready and willing to suffer whatever it takes to be healed. I've had wounded souls that have made great progress, miraculous progress, given a deep inner peace and a major healing. But as usual, they've been left with areas to work on, areas in which they still needed to ask Our Lady to bring Our Lord in to heal them, huh? I have souls who, in spite of all the incredible graces and gifts showered on them, have chosen to turn back. God gave us free will. He's not going to hold a gun to our head and force us to do something spiritual. He gave us free will. He's going to respect that free will. He won't force us to be healed. He won't force us to forgive others. He won't force us to be saved. He won't force us to spend eternity with Him. We got a free will. We got to will it. Final point. If anyone has these kind of wounds and wants to discuss them with a priest, it's essential that at least initially it takes place in confession under the seal. Keep it under the seal so that not only is total privacy and security preserved, but also they get the sacramental effects of, of, of uh, the most precious blood pouring over the wounds. Don't bring it out of the confessional. Keep it under the seal. It's safe. It's anonymous. It protects you. When you're, when you're showing your wounds to the priest, it's going to protect you from getting hurt, which you've got to be careful about. And if you're going to ever take it outside the seal, uh, it can be discussed in the external forum. The stories I tell you are external forum. But if and only if the priest is balanced and completely trustworthy, don't do that. If you're wounded, you don't want to get more wounded in the process of trying to heal. Okay, so don't ever start by discussing stuff outside the confessional. You can start there. You can get going and all that. And God will take care. If you're faithful and you're praying this, Our Lady will arrange things. Heaven's in charge. You don't have to worry. They'll arrange things. Okay? Prayers of healing are especially important and powerful in, prayer for, in preparation for Thanksgiving and Holy Communion. Certainly, uh, you know, I don't know in the new Mass how it works, but in the traditional rite, the church actually makes a prayer, the priest says a prayer for healing every time he says Mass for himself, just before he gives himself Holy Communion. You can read those three prayers, but the Percepcio, the third prayer before Communion, is specifically about it. It contains a line, Through thy goodness may it, and we're talking about thy body, O Lord Jesus Christ, through thy goodness may it be unto me a safeguard and a healing remedy both of soul and body. A healing remedy, both of soul and body. And everybody knows the prayer right before communion. Domine non subdignus. What are we saying there? Three times. Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. That's the same Christ that healed the lepers. That's the same Christ that the woman with the bloody issue for 12 years reached out and touched the hem of his garment. But you're not touching the hem of his garment. It's him coming into you. Every reason for great confidence and hope in these things, huh? All right. There's a lot more to say. That's enough for today. Unless you've reached the transforming union, each one of you here is someone wounded himself. Each one of you is one of the wounded and broken sheep of the Lord. Today is the day to start working on this. If you don't have an intention for your Mass tomorrow, 
make it your complete healing. If you don't have specific intentions for communion, always make it for your healing. Fix your intention at the offertory and prepare yourself to make a good communion. And then at Thanksgiving with these very prayers we've talked about. Let's get real. No matter when a man lives, he will be wounded. Obviously, we're not speaking of Our Lady. No matter when a man lives, he will be wounded and he will need a Savior. And that does include Our Lady. No matter when a man lives, he will be wounded and he will need a Savior and he will have a cross. But the man who wants to be a saint has to make a choice. He has to stop rejecting himself from the graces of God. He has to stop living in the past with the only if I had done this or if only I had not done that. He has to say, stop saying, what if this happens? What if that happens? Or someday it will happen. Someday I'll work on my holiness. He has to choose to embrace his cross and God's love and virtue and invite our Lord and our Lady in his life to heal him, to help him, to guide him, sanctity. He has to make up his mind to forgive to forgive others, to forgive himself, to forgive God, and accept forgiveness. He has to choose to live in the present. He has to choose to live in this very moment, the only moment in which he can grow in virtue. He has to choose to live in this very moment, the only moment in which he can heal. He has to choose to live in this very moment, the only moment in which he can forgive. He has to choose to live in this very moment, only moment in which he can gain an indulgence. He has to choose this live in this very moment, the only moment in which he can become holy. He has to choose to live in this very moment, the only moment in which he can become a saint. He has to will it. He has to will it. And he can only will that in the present moment is the only moment that we can become saints. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that made us whole. And by his stripes we are healed.